Hey, everybody, welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing and all of our other podcasts over at blisterreview.com. As always, we are broadcasting this episode from the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, where it is currently absolutely gorgeous. So you should probably come spend some time in our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our amazing network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. This week, we are talking with Abby and Cordis Hall, who are both very good runners, who both run for Adidas Terex, and who both recently set FKTs for the Cottonwood Marble Loop in Death Valley. And Abby and Cordis are soon going to both be going after another FKT, this time on the rather gnarly Fifner Traverse. So in this conversation, we talk about all of that and the benefits and challenges that arise when your partner is also a competitive runner. Abby and Cordis have a whole lot of thoughtful and funny things to say on this topic. And we also talk about one current rule that is in place specifically for women's FKTs that deserves to be reconsidered so Abby and Cordis will make the case here, and then you should see what you think. And so with that, let's get to my conversation with Abby and Cordis Hall. Well, Abby and Cordis, how are you today and where are you today? <laughs> Good question. We are uh, doing well. We're talking to you from Boulder, Colorado at our kitchen table at your kitchen table that's very nice cordis you you're there as well not just in spirit yep i'm here as well okay it is friday evening and i'm just wondering has this been like whatever a normal workday looks like in the era of covid or has this been a big running day what have you guys been up to today Good, good question. We have yeah. different answers. Today, I was off of work and um, preparing for – we're actually getting ready to head out on a long training trip, taking out a – renting a van. And so we're leaving tomorrow morning. So I was kind of doing some errands and packing and laying stuff out in the living room floor. And meanwhile, <laughs> Cordis just finished like – I had a, <laughs> had a work training week this week, and it's called boot camp, which is very apt – I was on Zoom calls from probably about 8 a.m., sometimes earlier, to about 8 or 9 p.m. most nights, so. pretty much continuously. <laughs> sounds, <laughs> sounds fantastic. <laughs> it was pretty uh, terrible. I learned a bunch, but uh, that was the week for me. Huh. <laughs> and, and Cordis, what is this work you do? I'm a sales engineer for a company called Splunk. Um, specifically their observability team. And uh, essentially, they're just looking at how you can monitor applications in a cloud environment. Wow. I I understood several of those words. (laughs) So so, now, this is the first time, though, I've ever heard the term observability team. It's it's just like, it's a... 
Splunk made a few acquisitions, and that's what they're calling this new team that is uh, looking at this new space in the market with a couple new products. Abby, I feel like he's holding out on us. Is this like some top secret stuff that you're <laughs> you're really not? I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't. How deep do you want to go on to like? I mean, is this gonna be? We could do. We could make this a tech podcast if you like, but. <laughs> Maybe, Cordis, we could spin <laughs> off and just start our own tech podcast where it's like a, a, the whole season, I just ask you questions about Splunk, which at this rate yeah. I, might might need to happen. So I am tenacious and I am going to get to the bottom of what the hell an observability team is. It's, okay, so I mean, to be clear, it's, so the, it's like a genre of products towards observability. What I really do is sales, essentially, right? It's okay. the technical side of sales configuring things for customers, things like that. <laughs> Abby, I think Cordis has already identified, like, this is below your pay grade, Jonathan. Like, let's just, <laughs> just go with my, just go with my simpler explanation of what it is I do all day on these Zoom calls. So, so it's, I'll often like jump in in social situations and give my kind of like dumbed down description of it that uses like, <laughs> Common words. <laughs> Common words. Okay. Yeah. All right. No. Well, yeah. Cordis, I, mean, I find it funny too how many other trail runners I know yeah. that are also just like sort of techies huh. that like I'll end up just like going out into nature and just talking about like technology for like a couple hours. It's <laughs> sort of interesting juxtaposition of those things. I'm going to, when we're done, just look up on Wikipedia observability teams and just try to <laughs> just try to learn a little bit more in this space. But I appreciate it. And I know there's a company called Splunk out there that does a lot of Zoom conferencing boot camps. So this has been very enlightening for me. Yeah. <laughs> Abby, your turn. When you're not running, what are you doing for work? When I am not running, I am a product designer. So um, I work for a company called Township, and we are a digital product agency. Um, and so I do a lot of UI design and branding and all things in that space. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Back to observability. When I hear the term observability, I wondered if this is like, Cordis, your job is to observe how people are interacting with a user interface and then taking notes. But it sounds like I was incorrect, but that Abby actually is doing stuff with UI. So it all yep. kind of ends up coming together somehow. Yeah. yeah, your gut was right about the 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 vibe from the two of our work lives in general. <laughs> this is why you guys make a good team. It's yeah. it's all it all ends up being there. I think we match each other's yin and yang quite well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah agreed. Which we're going to actually be talking a bit about this couple's dynamic quite a bit, which kind of leads us in to what you guys have been up to this summer. And then we're going to talk about one of the big things you have coming up this summer. So I want to ask you about this Cottonwood Marble Loop. So Abby, why don't you get us started? Tell us about this loop and, and what you and Cordis were, were doing on this loop. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in February, yeah, February, pre 
pre-COVID or as we were maybe starting to... A week prior. Yeah, it was like truly like the week before like the world changed. Um, it was like, you know, you're hearing murmurs and oh, yes, yeah, in China and huh, like crazy. I wonder... You're in Vegas too, yeah. Yeah, we were... Yeah, so we were... Um, we did kind of a, um, a training racing trip um, uh, for a couple of weeks with a little bit of work thrown in there too. Yeah, a little bit of everything. Um, and yeah, Cordis had to be in Vegas for work. So we were there the weekend prior and um, we really love that area. I've spent a good amount of time out and around there and especially getting out to Death Valley, which is one of our favorite places on the planet. Um, so we're sitting in a rainy hotel room in Vegas looking up what we wanted to do the next day and looking up some backpacking routes and came across this route that connected these two very large canyons in Death Valley and discovered that there was some FKT history on it, some fastest known time t- times on the route. So and the men's one had been set, I believe, like four days before that date. Yeah. Yeah. So Death Valley, especially in the FKT scene, it's like it'll see these kind of very narrow windows of the year when attempts are made just because of conditions. It's like, you know, so, um, so specific. So often you get these windows like in the fall and in the really fall and winter where like we'll just go throw down on some of these routes. So yeah, so we set out the next day, drove out from Vegas. Cordis started ahead of me because we wanted to go separately since we learned. Yeah, we had um, a prior instance in Death Valley where we did Telescope Peak, which is another awesome outing in Death Valley. But uh, we're like, oh, great. We'll get Abby the women's FKT. That'd be cool. But then we realized because I was with her, it does not count as woman's unsupported. But for this one, we just wanted to make sure we ticked all the right boxes. Yeah. So Cordis started ahead of me and and he got the FKT and I, but I meanwhile was like started about 20 minutes behind him and, you know, finished an hour after him at the end and also got the FKT. So it was like this very fun. Great day. It was a great day. (laughs) It was like like one of those days where you just wake up, like you have a great breakfast, just nail everything throughout the day. Like logistics worked well. We finished like right as the sun's setting. Good food when you're done. Like, ah, you know, it was it was a rare how it was rare how good that day was. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I can kind of imagine this. Like you you kind of get to the end and you're like everything kind of went the way it ideally was gonna. Yeah. And you're just like, exactly. "Wait a second. <laughs> it yeah. just like happened. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, like I finish and Cordis is waiting there in the camp chair and he's like, "Did you get it?" And I was like, "Yeah." It's like, sweet, let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Okay, let's test your history a little bit on FKTs. It's funny, right? A few weeks ago, we were talking with Buzz Burrell on the podcast, which was pretty fun, just diving into some of the details here. How many times has this really happened? Like, how common or uncommon is this where couples are going out and ticking off dual FKTs? Well, we know one of them for sure. We actually just did like a um, kind of podcast style call actually with a couple last week that we have not met, but they had the FKTs on this route previously. Uh So it was previously separately run by a couple and we, and Mm -hmm. so it's like actually really cool. We've gotten to connect with them. Um, Jason Hardrath and Ashley Winchester there out Mm -hmm. in California. FKTs are sort of just like their jam. Yeah. They're all about that. They, they just chase those relentlessly. 
I don't think they do any like organized racing, but they're after those FKTs all the time. They're always getting after like really wild stuff. And I know like um, like Brittany Peterson and her partner just went and like did mm-hmm. a big FKT project together. So I do I hear of it some. I mm-hmm. think maybe not quite the approach so much of maybe like married couples. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But you're saying going back a second that just to get all clear on our FKT rules aren't actually allowed to run these things together so there's the caveat the big caveat here is with women's unsupported with um running it with a male yeah so essentially if if this is just according to the the fkt website that sort of everybody has gone with that okay uh that peter bachman runs Mm -hmm. yeah so essentially like if if Cordis is with me, it's considered supported because he is considered to have paced me. And because Cordis is just oozing with emotional support. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and hey, I, get, I, I do get that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is a different thing to be, alone. to yeah, be out is. there alone. and Especially on some of these more remote routes, I think, I think that's the case. I don't know if I 100% agree with that just because I think – like if I go out with my buddy, like if I go out with another guy friend and we both do it unsupported, is that supported then? Because we were still giving each other emotional support. I can, I can see a debate in either, in either way. It's just where it, it, it's where the, it's settled. And you know, if it's the rules of the game right now, that's. Yeah. I've, I've definitely at the very least been, I might like start to raise my voice about that a little because there are a lot of men's uns, quote unsupported times that have, been accompanied so i think the rule should just be about accompaniment gender shouldn't be part of the conversation so i might start to i don't know i might start to anyway make a stink on that anyways (laughs) no i think that i think that's a conversation worth having yeah i do too i think i mean and especially right now i feel so like i feel so inspired to like like raise my hand on a lot of those things that i might normally think oh you know these systems are the way they are but i just feel like questioning everything a little bit right now let's talk about your respective backgrounds and fkts um given something you said just a second ago i'm guessing that you guys have not been just all about the fkt chasing yeah abby why don't you let's talk a little bit about your kind of background with running and and your trajectory and then I'd love to hear Cordis's too. I yeah, so I started running really from a young age. Um I think I did my my first trail race was in 5th grade actually. Um and I have like little spiral notebook, you know, colorful marker training journals from when I was like a 5th grader where it was like 3 miles, rainy, felt good. Um so I really at a young age, like was pretty all in pretty, pretty soon, um, ran track and cross country all through, you know, like middle school, high school, college. And yeah, just, that was a really huge part of my life growing up. I was a 800 meter runner and track and, um, was like as a child, very starry eyed about like big big athletic accomplishments. Like I was, um, very, like very much dreaming about like doing big things in sport. And, um, you know, that was like always, I think 
just like a quality that stuck with me, like really wanting to like reach, reach really far and see how I could go, how far I could go. But, you know, like high school and college, I definitely started to feel a little bit more burned out towards the end competitively, just after so many years of racing and going through and doing the same thing. Um, Moved out to California after college and um, started training for some road marathons. Um, And it's interesting because, like, I think after, you know, finishing school, really for any, you know, hobby or sport or interest, there's, you know, this moment where you've been plugging away, whether it's piano lessons or whatever it is, you're like, okay, when the practice is over, when the meets and the you know, competitions are over and I'm just like a, you know, normal person that wakes up the year after college on a Saturday, like what, do, how do I want to spend my day? And you either go, oh, I like definitely don't want to do that anymore. Or in my case, it was like, I still woke up and went out for a run and the next day, the next day. And you realize kind of that these things that were very much a part of your upbringing really had become values. And so that was very much where I kind of woke up after college, so to speak, and realized, oh yeah, running's not going anywhere. And I, you know, very much wanted to continue pursuing it. Um, So moving out to California, um, I was training for some road marathons and um, those were like, I mean, competitively, those were like times now that were not, like, I don't feel like represent me as a runner now it was like but I was going through the motion of kind of like kind of figuring out like okay do I like long distances oh yeah I do like long distances um but you know at the time then separately so it's like I'd be doing my marathon training living in LA and then I would go for the like the weekend up to the mountains and I was doing tons of climbing and tons of objectives in the mountains but then it's like I would come back from the mountains and be like oh I need to like catch up on running and so it it like it, it went on like this for a little bit before I kind of started to realize like, oh, I guess like I can go to the mountains and I can go for a run there. And then these two kind of parts of my life of like, you know, training for the Chicago Marathon or for Boston or whatever can live alongside like going up to the Sierra and like being on the trails all weekend. Um, and so I was very much kind of seeking community around all of this. I was spending a lot of time in the mountains by myself um, and really started seeking out, all right, where can I go live where people like go to the mountains together, where this isn't, where I'm not like the odd man out that's like, you know, leaving town to to hit the trails, but where can I find that like-minded community? So I moved to Boulder in 2016, very much um, seeking that community out. So I moved here with the intention of, hey, I keep hearing about this sport of ultra running and I'm going to get into it. Like, I haven't done it yet, but I know this is going to be my thing. And I started signing up for races and setting big goals and moved here, started just going to like every group run in town. There's, you know, like living in a place like Boulder, like practically every night of the week, there's some, you know, group you can meet up with and go run a mountain and go drink beer after. And so... I was just going to all the group runs and that's where I met Cordis. And then that's really where I feel like my trail running story starts. Like the rest of that feels kind of like a foundational. Um, But yeah, Cordis and I 
met and started adventuring together. I and scooped her up almost immediately, to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else in Boulder had a chance. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, this was probably within like four weeks of moving here. I didn't know I was still in college at the time. (laughs) She was like, this guy with the Zoom calls, he's got (laughs) something's here. Yeah, yeah, I, I... remember him because he was finishing he was beginning the group run by like having you know coming off of like time trialing the first flat iron and comes like barreling into the park where everyone's meeting to run then joins us for a run and I'm like what's this guy up to like what's his thing so started talking routes with him you know like just you know hey like what's you know this trail connect to and this blah 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 and Cordis love that's the way to his heart. So Got it. I I chose I adopted the right strategy early on. <laughs> so Abby, I, I want to get over to to Cordis's story here, but just I so many of the conversations we have on off the couch does involve that chapter called like the burnout chapter or the burnout phase. I think that you would be in kind of the minority company where it's like, yeah, I found running in fifth grade and I liked it. And then I just kept doing it. And it's like, there was no, where's the, where's the tragic part in the movie where it all falls apart and you hate this sport. Do you have any thoughts about maybe how you avoided the kind of so common phase of like, I hate this? That's a great question. I, Cordis is looking at me like he has an answer for me. Yeah. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the thing that told me, like, I always joke where I'm like, yeah, my knees are going to blow up one day and I'm going to have to just be a full-time cyclist. And I'm fine with that. Or like, whatever. But I've talked to Abby about this and she says that she's like, if I was just running like a quarter mile up and down the neighborhood street, if that's what I was doing, that's cool. And And so I think the difference with Abby is that like, she really just like, enjoys just running like on a very elemental level that I don't think especially a lot of trail runners in particular really do you know I think in trail running you know I think I'm definitely included in this there's a lot more like to it than just just the running but I think for Abby she's fine like you know treadmill go out and like just with a headlamp and in snow and just jog around and that that makes her happy and I think that's what allowed her to continue doing it for so long because it was just just like a simple practice that she really enjoyed. There wasn't anything more to it. That's a great answer for me because you're (laughs) totally right. (laughs) But like I I do think that in – I think so much of what draws people to um, outdoor activities is aesthetic, is like, oh my gosh, like I want to ski that line. I want to like run to that summit. I want to connect this point to this point. And like – I, and I, and I'm, I'm sure for some people like that is like enough of a foundation to like for a whole lifetime of exploration. And it's very much part of my foundation and what keeps me coming back for more, but I think it's not the core, but yeah, I think you hit it on the head. Like if I just had to go like run around the block, like I'm, I'm fine with that. And there doesn't have to be the aesthetic value to it, which I think, especially in the context of ultra running is a really is it's interesting from a mental perspective because I think to be able to like 
like kind of unmarry that aesthetic from distill it down to like it's singular act yeah yeah like at the end of the day it's like I want to be able to put one foot in front of the other pretty quickly for a pretty long time and if I can just break that down to the simplest pieces it's a lot my why becomes a lot easier than having my why be dependent on specific terrain or situations or even specific objectives or let alone like outcomes we're gonna drill down on this because I ask you questions, Abby, but then Cordis will just come up with the answer. So it's it, it works. But so just to be clear, and Cordis, feel free to answer if you think you know the answer here. Abby, then would you, if you had to try to maybe kind of pick one, is it more for you than just the movement itself, or is it? the mental part of some, for some people running is kind of the meditation. It's not for me. Running is hard and I get tired. So if if I want to meditate, I walk, right? I don't, I don't run. I walk. So curious for you though, if you're like, I need to get on that treadmill or just get outside for that physical movement or more that mental component. I I think it actually might be specifically the physical, like the specific running because, and I think actually this is maybe where Cordis and I differ because he is equally content hopping on a bike and riding all day. And I, and I definitely enjoy that. Like I can enjoy cycling, but I don't get the same thing from cycling that I do from running. It feels like a different thing to me. And I've noticed like it still leaves me wanting running. So it makes me feel as though it's not just that mutual mental state it's it is actually the the physicality of being on my own feet i guess this is so great this is the yin and the yang so cordis it sounds like maybe you would be the one if if please correct me if i if i'm not right here but you just want to be out it is maybe a little more of that meditative or the state that you get in through endurance activities, whether it's on a bike or whether it's running? Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one exception I'd add to that is swimming, which is what I originally started doing when I was a kid. That was like my main sport. I'd say at least the one I did the most consistently out of the like large amount of different ones that I did. How young are we talking, Cordis, when you like either started swimming or, or, and or then really started taking swimming seriously? Um, I would say I took swimming almost equally seriously from the time I was like six to 18. And, but like, I wouldn't say it was super serious. Like there's the, the classic year round club swimmer, you know, that like sells their soul to the pool. But I would, I would be on the high school team, of course, but then I was in like a summer league. So it was a seasonal thing for me. And during those seasons, I would take it seriously. But, um, I mean, I, as what I would consider myself a serious athlete today, I, I wasn't like really like dedicating myself to it from like a all encompassing point of view. You didn't have visions of Olympic gold medals. Like I am, my life is only focused on trying to get to this level in the pool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, but I, I had friends that did, so I could, I could see that side and it just never, I, I was never hooked onto that side for swimming. It was very much like a separate, like, starting point. It felt like when you, in college, started getting into, like, mountain things. Yeah. Like, it felt 
Yeah, because I did a bunch of sports growing up. Yeah. I think you're the first swimming background runner we've had on this podcast. And I think that's pretty accurate because I think like the body types that I would see really excel at swimming are like very like double jointed people. Um, uh, it sounds like I'm coming to mutants or something, but like, I don't know. It, like, cause we would do like dry land training and swimming and like the really, really good swimmers weren't the best runners mm. and vice versa. There's not like I that natural progression of like, oh, and I'm just going to like go do a marathon after. Yeah, and of course there's triathletes. So obviously there's exceptions to this, of course, of course. but like, yeah, um, that's, I, that's also a, a pattern I noticed as well. And I think honestly, probably one of the biggest things is I don't think the fitness translates at all because the movements are so radically different mm-hmm. that, I mean, you'd see Michael Phelps get out of the pool in Beijing, and I don't think he could run that fast. But like he's an insane. I don't know. So, I feel I like he would crush. Just the biomechanics are so different, and despite his, he probably had a VO two max of like ninety five. <laughs> it doesn't even matter because his biomechanics aren't there. This is just my opinion. Yeah, yeah, Phelps, that guy, very minimally talented. I think you heard totally. it here. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Um, well, so then talk about how you then did. <laughs> find your way out of the pool and into the mountains, uh, yeah. which makes you sound like some evolutionary fish or something. <laughs> so I like this. I like that. Yeah. It's evolution. No. Uh, no so uh, I really wanted to go to see you. I grew up in Colorado, um, like a suburb outside of Boulder. And uh, so I really wanted to go to see you because I really wanted to be able to keep skiing. That was one of the other uh, several activities that I really enjoyed to do. Um and I had started running cross country the the back couple years of high school. It was okay. Um, I had made varsity, kind of like the the back end of varsity for cross country. Track conflicted with swimming, so I didn't do track. Um, but then, of course, like I'm going to see you, right? There's no way like this two year high school cross country runner is going to be running with the Buffaloes, right? <laughs> like <laughs> they're winning national champions. They're not looking for, uh, for me at that point, um, or no. And so, yeah, I tried to like keep at it with swimming and, you know, swimming by yourself is really, really hard. I think swimming by yourself is one of the hardest things because you sort of like what Abby was talking about with like the core of running, not as many people really dig into it like that. I think swimming, swimming is very, very difficult. Um, and it's a whole body workout. I think it's much harder than running personally. And that's why I don't swim anymore in a lot of ways. But then just being at CU, you know, you're, I was miles ish, maybe a mile from pretty world-class trails. And at that point, you sort of, once I started dabbling into it, I just sort of fell in love. Um, and then that sort of just blossomed really into everything that I would probably associate with my identity today. First of all, I should have asked you this a while ago. How old are you two? I am 29. I turned 30 in August. And I am 26. Man, Abby, you really did. Robin, that crazy. You know, I was in college when she met me. This is, yeah, I guess this is okay, but you know. Um, I know, it's pushing it. Yeah. Cordis, you, this like, you're like, I live real close to great trails. What year are we talking when you kind of discover trail running? Well, it would have been my freshman year, I think, when I really started to be like, wait okay, running and sort of just like starting to like read more about it, which of course is like reading mm-hmm. online, born to run, you know, the whole intro trail runner starter kit. Uh, <laughs> um, and then I don't know, you just like, 
go like deeper and deeper into it. And, you know, I don't know if you know Green Mountain and Boulder. Um, but so I ran that once from like my dorm room. Right. And I thought it was like the most insane feat that had ever been done. And I came across when I was like researching the trails to get there, I came across Anton Krupishka's blog and I was like, this is total BS. No one can do this. This is just straight lies. <laughs> like no one does this. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah. And then, you know, you, you start like seeing people doing that stuff and you get super inspired. Uh, and you're like, wait, people can do this. Like I can do this. I want to try and do that. Uh, and then you just practice. You know, and it, and it was so cool to see so much history in Boulder, I think, too. And, um, you know, be able to see, like, okay, like, people do these things. I'm going to start, like, work. I'm going to go to the exact same trails that they do. I'm going to see their times. I'm going to see what I can do. Um, that is a really unique part of being in Boulder is, like, you know, Cordis references this about Tony, and he's, like, now one of our super good friends. And we tell him all the time of, like, yeah, I'm like oh, yeah. you know I run because of you, dude, right? Like, <laughs> What does he say? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, I feel like he shrugs it off, but I really mean it. Like, but it's, I, it is, I, there's no way I'm the only one. It's a rare – it's a really unique place in that, like, we – like, you described it well, just that, that early on feeling of – seeing these people that you look up to like on the same trails as and you. And it's not like a foreign place. It's not yeah. like you're watching the NBA and you're like, whoa, it's the NBA finals like off in some city on TV. It's like this It's exact, like, oh my gosh, yeah. they just ran past me on the trail. That's a real person. You know, yeah. it's like if you're a basketball player and you go to the rec center and LeBron James is practicing his dunks like right. on the court next to you, you'd be like, this is crazy. Look at him. It sounds like, I mean, you guys are just happily off in running clubs around Boulder. You are running in races back when we lived in a time where there were races. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. And so it sounds like, uh, it sounds like maybe that was a bit more of the trajectory rather than some uh, longstanding interest in FKTs per se. Fair. Actually, I would say it's fairly parallel those two paths. I yeah. think, I think the the opportunities that racing can provide, um, I think, it oftentimes outweigh those of FKTs. And there's this feeling too of like the FKTs are kind of they're, and they're always there. Is the other thing with the FKTs versus like, um, you know, we're both really grateful to be a part of uh, the Diasterix team, and you know, there, there's opportunities with that. And so when it's it's like, do you want to come be a part of the team, be a part of something special and come to UTMB or mm -hmm. some of these incredible races that we've been able to go to and participate in yeah. versus, you know, just sort of like put in another fast time on like your local route. You know, the choice has been pretty the, easy. The choice has been pretty easy Not for Not to us. mention like the being part of a team, um, that aspect yeah. has definitely lured us in, um, like and, and made it so that we're probably prioritizing those that we are prioritizing those opportunities to be with the team, be part of that above some of the FKT things. But they definitely like fit side by side. And I, course, I mean, yeah. still over the last couple of years, we fit in some of those projects like yeah. on the shoulders of seasons. I think the difference is that we haven't been going for you know the the, the hundred miler for the year isn't going to be the FKT. It's going to be UTMB. Yeah. And that, that's sort of that's that's sort of how we've sort of prioritized things. While the FKT is gonna be, you know, the like this one hour thing. to five hour event where it doesn't take over the season. 
2020 is going to be suddenly the year of that. So yeah, yeah. it's been yeah, an interesting pivot. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk couple goals and or couple dynamics both runners both running for adidas doing these fkts not quite together exactly but kind of together i think we got to ask about like what have you identified as being the best parts of this and then the more fun thing what are like the worst parts of this we talk about this subject a, a ridiculous. I mean, it's probably a, a weekend occurrence. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. I think let's start with the best. Let's start with the best. Right. I think the coolest thing about us both being into this sort of stuff is just simply that you know we can go do twenty or thirty miles in the mountains together and just have an absolute blast. See so much stuff. Um, feel really confident, um, and to be able to do that together is just such a privilege. Um, to be able to share that with like the one that you love most in the world. Right. Um, and like, I think on top of that, like the um, problem, problem solving skills and mm-hmm. just like so many of the situations we've been into in remote places together, mm-hmm. like those are all of the hardest things that we've been through, like as a couple period. And I think so, so yeah. it's like prepared us so much for, for married life because those are the things that I like refer back to in the sense of like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, we like found a way to communicate when we were both like lost and it's this crazy storm and like, we're trying to find a way back. And like you, you look back on those moments and those are like some of the hardest things, but also some of the richest things. Definitely. And like, um, yeah, it definitely just parallels like, you know, so many of the whys of why we do ultras and why we run on trails. And, yeah, and to be able to do that stuff together, yeah. super valuable. I think like you could, you could easily compare that to sort of, I don't know, maybe like Hell Week with Navy SEALs or something. But so, some of these like, especially just having gone through this boot camp for work myself, but, um, you know, you put some people through like a really hard situation yeah. and they just end up bonding over it. Um, and I think for us to be able to do that in sort of these outdoor scenarios – together as a couple i think that's i don't see it super commonly i think that's something we really treasure yeah Hmm. man i am so tempted to ask when it's all when it's all fallen apart and the hail is golf ball sized and you're lost who tends to be the more upbeat one and who tends to not be that that's a good question what's your answer well, I think I think he doesn't know the other side of the question he's asking right now, too. So I think we'll, we'll answer what you said here, and then maybe we can do the follow-up after this. I think when the conditions or the route gets very broken, yeah, I would say I'm the one that takes over uh-huh. and is more of like the the guide, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> no, this is it's very true. There. There's, there's been, been a couple this is not scenarios a, in particular this is not a, that have been very much like, Cordis, if you don't get us out of here. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> no, we're both going to die. Okay. It's not a, like, I don't feel like it's a gender dynamic thing so much as it is like, we'll often end up in these scenarios where Cordis is like giving me all of his food and water and clothes. <laughs> <laughs> and just like, and I, and, and maybe that there is. That's like, just the one. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah, so in terms of who's the positive, I think I still stay pretty positive, though. She stays remarkably positive in some of the situations where she should have been utterly broken. <laughs> like, she would have had every excuse to just, like, lay on the floor and call it. So is one of you more prone to getting the two of you lost? I think that... And I guess, too, like, the, the assumption here, I think, like, what the scenario that we're talking about here is, like, a when it's, like, a big, like, 10-plus hour. I think, I think the issue is normally, thing. it's usually my fault in that I will plan for us uh-huh. a route that is far too ambitious. Though the, the common, and not plan for bailout points that are realistic. The common scenario is, like, the, the ever, um, you know ever evolving lesson to Cordis that I am not as fast as him and I am not going to be as fast as him. And mm-hmm. I mean, it like, it sounds really simple, but I think there's a, a lot of scenarios we've gotten in where you've thought, okay, yeah, like this will be what, like six to eight hours and like yeah, straight up yeah, for me, fun. it'll yeah. be like, yeah, 12. yeah, yeah, 12. And so there'll be a lot of scenarios where then that affects like, Oh man, and then this is oh, so now we need a headlamp. And we don't have headlamps. So doubles even more because yeah. we're using phone lights. And then yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then like kind of epics lead to epics, yeah. and uh, and then then all of a sudden you're trying to race back to work before Monday morning, and every restaurant's closed, and you're eating. Cordis is a sandbagger. Uh, me, well, me. I think it's more just like that. I. I think you optimistically really think <laughs> that I'm going to be able to like really keep up. And yeah. I really appreciate it. Like you yeah. give me a lot of credit in that way. You'll yeah. be like, Oh yeah. Aww. Like I think you can, you're capable of doing this in this amount of time, which I appreciate that photo. Yeah. But I think I'm basing it most off of like her race pace. Yeah. You know? But like the fact of the matter, she's not going to run like yeah. what she ran for like some of her like lifetime achievements every weekend. Yeah. Uh, i know i've yet to understand that Uh, i tell you what if i figure it out i think i'm gonna have a career in coaching (laughs) well we may have touched on this a little bit but the flip side of the coin the worst part or trickiest part i would say maybe not worst part but more like the trickiest part is like kind of finding this balance between being together and sharing these times in the mountains together while still each getting in what we need to like as, as athletes. And so like, we'll often be in this scenario where say, you know, I'm going to slow us down, but Cordis wants to get in this other peak and then, but he of course wants to be with me still. And he's not just going to like, yeah, it's this balance of, you know, like, at what points do we break away and say, oh, yeah, you just, you know, you go do your own rest of the run. I'm going to go slower and I'll find my own way. Or at what point do we say, no, we always stay together at all costs. So there's kind of this balance there between, you know, mm-hmm. not every run is a date, you know. Yeah. Like some runs are total dates. Mm-hmm. Some some runs it's like, oh, yeah, let's just like go up at sunset and like run and around. And it's funny and- the runs that end up being like ideal dates and the ones that might seem – when we start them to be ideal and end up being horrible. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And so I, I think that that constant, uh, we're constantly needing to set those intentions very deliberately. And I think we're getting a lot better at that of really declaring Mm -hmm. from the beginning, 
hey, it's a communication is, issue more is, than anything it else, is. right? You it's, just need to set expectations. Yeah. Like, hey, this is going to be a yeah. training run for me today. I want to get in a hard effort on this climb. Yeah. Versus like, like a lot of times the model we'll do is like, you know, maybe we'll do Saturday runs separate, Sunday runs together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we'll do like an easy run or two during the week. So it's like, yeah. I think, I think we find a good balance, but yeah, like you said, it's, it's all communication mm-hmm. and yeah, that's, that's the hard part I'd say. I mean, this is kind of a massive dynamic in so many relationships, not that many of us are married to or our partners are competitive runners on the same, you know, kind of with the same sponsor type of thing. And so, and yet I don't know that we talk a ton about these dynamics um, just at the, like the normal person, not the elite level of running. You know, you talked about communication being key. I guess that goes a long way. I would say one difference for us too is I think Abby and I normally take on, uh, too much. That's and, our default. And I think, <laughs> and, and we both like to set really big goals as well. Right. And so I, when you, when you start to put all that together, what you end up having is a lot of time constraints so that the opportunities to get in the the training and the practice for those big goals become, you know, you sort of get one shot at it a lot of times, you know, like for, for the weekend, for that long run, you sort of just need to nail it. As an ultra runner, you need to be able to nail the long run. Mm-hmm. And so then it creates more urgency around it, I think, for us as well to the point where, and I wouldn't say I'm the most patient a person in general to begin with, where I, I think then just like it gets the best of me. And, and so that's where I'm learning more to, communicate exactly like okay like if if i really do need to run then the issue isn't that like i i should have just like established that up front and then i can go do that own thing and then it's fine right versus like like, oh let's go have a fun day in the mountains by the way yeah i would expect us to be able to be like scrambling fifth class ridges and sprinting everywhere And then when I introduce that, like, halfway on to the approach, that's when it backfires on me. (laughs) I'm also optimistic because I also know that Abby's a credible athlete on her own, so sometimes I'll be like, oh, no, she's good for it. And then there have been, you know, then there's, like, scenarios, too, where it's, like, summers where, like, I've been training for Leadville, but I know you want to do a technical thing. And so I want to, like, run with you, so we'll do, like, a, you know, a long technical thing and looking back i'll be like oh man that was kind of like supposed to be like a key run mm-hmm. for specificity and so, vice versa or vice versa yeah so, so there's well, I, always <laughs> and I, well i think a lot of it too is kind of like i think the times where we are most successfully balanced we we know when one person's goal has a priority like there will be a time where it's like okay like Cordis, we're getting you ready for this. And like, this is the focus. Like I'm going to like handle dinner so you can have some late training nights Mm -hmm. this week. Like we're a team effort to get you out the door for this in the best shape possible. And like, I think actually when we exchange that like baton a little bit, I think that's actually when a lot of the best balance has happened for us. The hardest thing by far is just mixing the date run with the training run. Yep. When both people are very particular about what the training run will be. I would just say you can't do it. You just have to accept you're going to do a date run today Mm -hmm. and you're just going to go do that. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's also why I've gotten a coach so that my coach will tell me it's okay, Cordis. You don't have to push super hard all the time. You can just go for a date run and you're going to be just fine. 
And his coach is one of my best friends. So she'll text me and be like, hey, when do you want to do date runs? <laughs> so I'll be like, great. Glad you asked. <laughs> okay. So we've talked about how you make this work. And it's quite impressive, actually, because if one of you ended up murdering the other, I'd actually be like, yeah, that, that checks out. That makes sense. We saw that coming. So I, I want to applaud you. That uh, Now, you guys have been, you actually just had a recent, your one-year anniversary, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, Got so married congr- a year ago in June, yep. Congratulations on that. And, and so you haven't killed each other. Um, no. So <laughs> I'm close. keep it going. That's to keep that streak alive. You guys have a pretty massive goal i think it's safe to call it on your horizon uh for later this summer talk to me a bit about this it is a route called the fifner traverse um which is connecting milner pass to berthed pass um all kind of in the front range and mainly in rocky mountain national park the route has a lot of history to it, primarily based on Jerry Roach, who's a famous mountaineer in the mm-hmm. Front Range, um, or all of Colorado, who um, set out to connect these two points um, in this kind of long multi-week trip where his goal was to connect like many basins and passes and high points kind of along um, along this stretch of Rocky Mountain National Park that's very remote. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's been, you know, we could, we could get super nerdy with it, but there's been a lot of history over the years of um, some different variations on this route. Almost different... always done in a different flavor is, I think, one of the interesting things about it. Yeah. It's it's not it's not like the Fifner Trail. It's not. It's, it's mainly, not a trail, it's nor mainly, is it a ridge traverse either, though. It's not, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of kind of... Um, you know, routes that I think on the surface level would be easy to draw a comparison to, like, say, LA Freeway connecting Longs and uh, Arapaho along, like, Ridge proper. Mm-hmm. Um, this is different than that in that it's going in and out of basins. It's primarily off trail. It's a, it's more akin to a high route, like the Sierra High Route, the Wind River High Route, things like that. Yeah. It's it's more like like that, but it also will still use trail when it's there at times. And but people, some people say too, like you should just traverse the continental divide the whole way there, right? But you could also take trail the entire way between the two points. There's like a whole list of people I feel like we could get in a room and argue with about it, mm-hmm. and it's it's actually a really interesting conversation and one that we're having a lot right now um, because there's a lot of potential for variation on the line mm-hmm. that we take and it's only been repeated the same way twice or once yeah only one person has copied another person ever which is interesting <laughs> well, it hasn't been done that many times but uh but i think that's also partly why we like it so much in that i think one of the coolest things about fkts and we definitely discover this with cottonwood marble is how it gets you out to these incredible places mm-hmm. um, but sometimes one of the tough parts about it is that it's sort of like boils it down to just sort of a time. And I think I think that makes total sense for certain things, like Grand Canyon, rim to rim to rim. That is such an obvious FKT, right? But I think for this route in particular, and for Andrew Skirka, and I believe he said this as well, he's, he put a lot of the route together, I guess, within the last three years as sort of a guide, as more of a backpacking trip. But he even says, he's like, it'd be sort of tough to pin this down as an FKT, because everyone's going to approach it a little differently. You could traverse the divide the whole way and you'd have plenty of fifth class. You'd have zero water access or you could take the trail the whole way. And I think 
to whoever was going to do it, they're going to have the time of their life either way. And they're going to pick whatever is going to be the most enjoyable to them. And so what appeals to us about this kind of uh, like uh, many variations, you know, style of Fifner is that it is not binary like other FKTs where it's, did you get it or did you not get it? Like, did you hit the time or did you not? It's how did you do it? It's how did you do it? And why did you do it? Yeah. And so what did you do? Yeah. And like, there's actually, I've seen, you know, Andrew Skirka, who's poured a lot of time um, into Fifner, like you mentioned. Like yeah, really, he, if you want to learn about the Fifner Traverse, there's no better resource than his guide, by the way. If you exactly. just Google Andrew Skirka, Fifner. Well, but I, I've seen, you know, he's written some things on um, like potentially even advising, you know, like, like that people not approach this in a trail running sense because of some of the challenges it holds and um that you know like if you were if you weren't familiar with the area and you just like flew in and you were a trail runner and you're like put the fifner traverse on my watch i'm gonna go send it you could end up in some really hairy situations because yeah, that's definitely do not reflect how slow it right like maybe just no one's not fast but i don't right this i mean the stats you know are like by the numbers similar to some hundred k's that yeah. we've done in like 14 hours yeah. And it's going to realistically be like a 36-hour ordeal. So like by the numbers, um, it seems like you should just be able to rip it. But there's – you know, it involves kind of a lot of scouting and planning. And um, right when Cordis and I first met and started dating, one of our first big adventures together was an attempt on the Fifner Traverse – and, and we approached it like trail runners. We, we slapped a GPS file on our watch. Yeah. And loaded up a dinky little backpack with a light windbreaker and <laughs> and off we go. And I had run my I'd run my first fifty miler the weekend before, was just trash. Rolled up to the trailhead, got, uh-huh. you know, ninety minutes of sleep. Like it was it was just bound for disaster from the beginning. And um that epic was like what like really when i was like i'm all in i was like this because the cool thing there was there was a certain point on that route so abby was obviously destroyed and she'd done her first 50 mile or like five or six days before and so i think we get to probably mile like 30 or something and she's like i think i need to bail and we're on at that point we're at like the west ridge of isolation peak which is sort of on the southern boundary of Rocky Mountain National Park. And it's actually the most remote you can get outside of the San Juans in Colorado. And so I was like, well, it's about like 20 miles to the trailhead and the trail won't start for the first 12 of that. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, I'm like hitting the buzzer. I'm like, I'm done. You know, like hop into the crew vehicle and it's like, it's like we had a long walk. Yeah. And so, and I had, I hadn't scouted all those sections before, and that's where was that what we were referring to earlier of who ends up having to take over, and it was navigating by headlamp down a few different basins that we had neither some been of the in. more complex route finding we've ever done. Yeah, and I and I've been them back in the past, and in the sunlight, you'd be like, "Well, why did you walk through the huge field?" <laughs> <laughs> but in the middle of the night, when you've never been there, and you're just like, "I'm going straight down. I am. I'm done." Uh, you don't make as good decisions. So, uh, so we tried that, and that didn't go well. And um, at that point, we were copying Mark Overson's route 
who uh, he had done it a couple years prior. And he was also probably another inspiration for me because I ended up going to high school with his kids. Um, I didn't really know how legit he was at the time. Um, he's certainly like he's a hard rock, hard rock finisher, hard rock finisher. And, and it took him a couple times to finish the Fifner traverse first times, but he crewed us and he was just amped to see somebody else go for it. Uh, he, he heard we were going for it and came and brought a, brought a cot and waited for us in the Monarch Lake trailhead parking lot all night. And, uh, it was like, yeah, what a saint and drove us back to our, our cars and we bailed and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, um, like just, he waited in a cot in a dirt parking lot for twelve hours. <laughs> He's like, like he has a family at home. Yeah, like he has like twelve kids. Yeah, he spent. That's not all like night. an exaggeration. Like, yeah, like he 12. actually. Like, I think it's like twelve or thirteen. <laughs> yeah, and and so you know, I mean, he tore away from his family to like come help us, and that's just sort of the person he is too. Yeah, uh, that he's just going to help anybody who needs help. But um, he was just so psyched to see it and somebody else go for it because i think once you if anybody even just does a portion of this route which i would say even the first 45 of the route are yeah. insane uh they're so pretty just unbelievable and they're empty mm-hmm. it's these corners of rocky mountain national park that are just as pretty as everywhere else but because they're more remote they're empty and there's no trails and that first attempt i remember in the afternoon we were just around treeline and we had a herd of elk run around us mm-hmm. So, and so that's really why we want to go back, really, is because we have history with it. We, yeah. we fell in love with it so much. Um, it was such a formative moment for us as a couple. And it's and just, uh, unique to some of the other FKTs we've done together. We are going for this as, like a, as a team. Like we are not almost going as for a it. date. Yeah, uh, it will uh, be a date. It will be a date. It will be the fifth, most messed the, up date. <laughs> The Fifner date run. Oh no! I think we just found the title of this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! So we are gonna do it together and um, as a team, and I'm really excited for that and to get back to some of these places that you know the rest of the year, like when we're not up, you know, like I guess like not during the summer months, we're looking up at these peaks. This is what I'm daydreaming about. As are some of these remote yeah. basins, and and I also tried it. One year. other time, made it a little bit further. I think I made it to, oh, like mile 55 of 70. And then I gave up out of pure weakness, which I regret more than anything in my running life. I never finished 100 at that point, And you don't, you think, everybody thinks like they have some exceptional story for their first 100. And the reality is everybody just gets hurt. Like that's just how it is. So once you realize that, you're like, this is just how it is. This is, I can do this. And so that's the other thing. We both actually finished some longer things in organized setting for just quite a bit, I would advise that quite a bit more for figuring that part out to be able to do that in a safe environment. All right. Well, so to try to wrap up on Fifner, so end of July-ish, and then we'll kind of see what the weather's doing. I think we're going to... We kind of got a time slot. We're kind of going to go for it. Yeah, we're going to start early on July 18th. Um, And I think the nice thing about this route, too, because there's a lot of different flavors in terms of how you can... Um, slice it up. Uh, I think it actually it can actually accommodate bad weather quite well. Um, yeah. If you need to, you can take you know lower trail bypasses to things. Um, and we've just spent enough time in the area that yeah, I just think it's it, it'd be pretty easy to dodge storms in there. 
I just jinxed it, but yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> oh, yeah. no. Why did he say that, Abby? I know. Yeah. I know. If you look at our, our like, Cal Topo, like, planning map, like, the whole map is basically bail routes. Yeah, you need to know every bail route. You need to know every workaround of things. But I think that's also the cool part about it is that um, the navigation piece is pretty proper, I think. You know, I would say it's on par with or perhaps even above. And I know Skirk had put this in his guide, like a Nolan's 14 even, because it's not just like a peak and down. It's sort of like you need to go around this pass, contour here. You have to be on this side of that lake, things like that. It's just a little bit more nuanced. Good luck. I can't can't wait to hear see the the results of this on on multiple levels actually so (laughs) before i let you guys go let's talk a little bit about maybe life after fifner assuming there's life after fifner and let's also think about a world where we have races coming back online and you know the the rest at the moment i just would love to hear each of you talk about what seems kind of most intriguing say in the next 12 to 24 months, you know, what kind of distances are you most into? What kind of races? What do you got, Abby? Yeah. So I think a lot of my success competitively in the last year or so has come from kind of like picking my lane a little bit. I feel like it was a really, like my first kind of few years in the sport. I have no regrets going about it this way, but I was kind of all over the map. Like I would choose, you know, hundreds and short races and technical ones and flat, fast ones. And I think that was a really good way for me to get to know what I liked. Um, and I think in the last year or so, I was kind of zeroing in on this like 50 mile, 100K kind of distance. And I really got really excited about like last year getting to run CCC at UTMB. That was one of my favorites. And um, I think that's like definitely what I'm what I'm dreaming of as far as you know when when races are getting back on the calendar for me it's those kind of like steep mountainous 50 mile to 100k races and I just like love that so much it makes me so happy it's so fun and uh in the meantime though I think like um in the fall where we're planning to go back to Death Valley and there's another date run yeah another messed up date run (laughs) The trail route for lowest to highest, which is going from from Badwater to the summit of Whitney, but not on roads like the Badwater 135 route, uh, like a kind of like a trail route that is going over some trails we're familiar with in the area. So that's um, that's on the radar for the fall. And as excited as I am to return to kind of that like lane, so to speak, of of the distance I really like, I'm really enjoying this year kind of um, just experimenting a little bit more with some of these big, big things that I've wanted to do for a while and um, haven't quite been able to pull together. So that one in the fall would be like 140 miles or something. So in a lot of ways between, yeah, between Fifter and lowest to highest, that'll like keep me totally engaged through the end of the year. (laughs) And yeah. Cordis, what's your trajectory looking like or just what seems most interesting to you right now? What what Abby said earlier, um, as far as individually, I'd like to try and do the the LA freeway. I don't know if you're aware of that route. It's another one on the car. My buddy Kyle did that, and he set some ridiculously fast time on it. So 
of course, the next thing to do. But he, he had a couple uh, uh, gear stashes that he had put up like five days before that he had hiked up some water and food. Um, so I'd really like to try and at least just complete it completely unsupported. His time is pretty stout. I'll definitely give it a go. We'll see. Sometimes the self-supported things work out nicely, though. So, so who knows? But I'd like to try that. And then as far as racing goes, you know, I think I'm following similarly to like what Abby is saying. And I think those ones are just the most fun too, where it's these 50 mile to 100K. Uh, you don't lose a ton of sleep on it, Penny. So that's always a huge plus in my eyes. The race that gets me the most excited is Trans Grand Canaria. We did it a few years ago. And it is a doozy. It is sweet. <laughs> it is really rough. So I think that's the race and the objective that I guess I find myself dreaming about the most. We haven't talked food at all. As I was looking over, you guys have some recipes up. And they maybe I'm just hungry, but it looked delicious. And it, I found myself thinking, okay, I, maybe I should step up you know, my cooking game a little bit. So for someone who tends to, I'm going to, I'm not going to call it laziness, even though it's laziness, but let's just call it a terrifying efficiency. Anything, any recipes that you guys have up where you're like, look, for lazy people, why don't you just try to start with this one? A lot of kind of, I don't know, bang for the buck or bang for the effort type of thing. Does anything jump out? So actually what I would say is like not even necessarily so much a specific recipe, but I would say like for us having a um, a CSA in the summer and getting like a load of veggies from our local farm each week is a really fun way to kind of impose a few like basic challenges on yourself because you are getting some like kind of like funky ingredients you might not normally reach for. And it kind of, it, it, um, I always think with, uh, with a lot of things like limits create freedom. And so like when you're kind of looking in the fridge and you're like, okay, we have garlic scapes and kohlrabi and, um, you know, like whatever, like zucchini flowers, you're like, okay, this is like, this dinner. Like, let's, let's figure this out. Let's figure out like, well, how do I want these zucchini flowers to taste? Do I want them to be crunchy or salty? And like, it kind of gets you thinking about food in a, in like a more creative way. Um, that's like what I would recommend if, if that was like something you were looking to like, I don't know, get into more. That's like maybe how I would approach it. What are your thoughts, Cordis? Cake. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. so there's there's two things that I think oh, yeah. are very 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 difficult to mess up. Those are salad and soup, and they're also usually very 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 good. Essentially, you chop up a bunch of stuff. You either put them in a bowl or put them in a bowl with water, and then you just start <laughs> making adding, it sound really appetizing. And then you just start adding spices and make it taste good. And I think in reality, that's what most recipes are. <laughs> Stop laughing, Abby. I'm, I'm taking notes right now. Wait a minute. You said this is the same instructions for salad or cake? No, a salad or soup. Sorry. I was going to say, I was like, wait a minute. I could make that exact recipe of soup every night in the winter, and I'm super happy. Yeah. You just yeah go by... I mean, we're vegan, of course, so we just go buy any veggies we want at the store. Any chop them up. Beans. Yeah. Put them in a pot, heat it up, 
salt is always going to be your friend. Um, Abby, yeah, but you should stop to... laughing. I think I think I the know, whole I, I think the whole soup thing is is a good he, sort of inroads here. He is our our soup maker, and he really uh, really crushes that. So. Oh yeah, I'm actually pulling up that page here too. I'm gonna see if there's anything. That. Plus, I'm just delighted to know that he doesn't make like salad cake or something because that was getting weird for a minute. Tahini miso broth ramen, and we use just, like any veggies, some rice noodles. Costco really has good. these great rice noodles. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's it's pretty simple. It's it's un- unmess upable. I would say. Those listening to this, maybe you know, another time, maybe we'll have to do a, like a, a dedicated food episode uh, or something. But um, people should definitely check out your website if they are intrigued uh, to see more about some of the recipes that we're talking about. And uh, pretty cool. We got you run together, you cook together. I, you guys, I think I feel like you've got it like quite figured out. Thank you. We're sure trying. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. Uh reevaluating and constantly yeah, uh, always be open to change i think we always yeah it's our big thing you know mm-hmm. be okay to change your mind mm-hmm. and then communicate yeah. yeah yeah that's exactly right if you can do that you can adapt to a lot yeah well listen thank you this has been fun i wish you all the best on the on the fifner traverse uh run date that uh, I and I, I just look forward to hearing uh, about how it goes on the 18th of July. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, we really enjoyed talking with you today. Yeah, this is a great conversation, and uh, thanks so much for having us. All right. Well, look forward to doing it again sometime down the line. Absolutely. That's it for this edition of Off the Couch. Thanks to Abby and Cordis for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Crested Butte, Colorado, we hope that you are doing well, and until next time, please be safe, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.